Hello, it's Robert Bathurst here. I was one of the first guests on My Time Capsule, and Mike has asked me to tell you that you can now listen to the podcast ad-free by subscribing to Acast Plus. Details of how to join are in the description of each episode. Mike says it's very reasonably priced. In fact, Mike says it's a bargain. And who am I to disagree? Locked here in his cellar. Anyway, for a small subscription, Acast Plus, My Time Capsule, ad-free. Free. Unlike me. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello, and welcome to My Time Capsule. I'm Mike Fenton-Stevens, and this is the podcast where I ask my guests to tell me the five things from their life that they would like to preserve in a time capsule. They pick four things that they cherish and would like to keep safe, but they also pick one thing they'd like to get rid of from their life, something they want to bury in the ground and never think of again. My very special guest in this episode of My Time Capsule is the singer and songwriter, and very occasionally actor, the one and only Chesney Hawkes. And I bet that's not the first time he's been introduced with that line. Chesney is, of course, famous for his massive hit, The One and Only, written by Nick Kershaw, which topped the UK chart for five weeks and reached the top ten in the USA in 1991. It was taken from the film Buddy's Song, in which he starred alongside Roger Daltrey. Chesney was named after Chesney Allen from Flanagan and Allen by his dad, Chip Hawks, who is still the bassist with the band The Tremolos. Silence is golden. Yep, it would be if I stopped singing. And his mother, the actress Carol Dilworth. Chesney has appeared in several TV shows such as Channel 4's The Games and Hit Me Baby One More Time. He's also been in Let's Dance for Comic Relief and the ITV series Sing If You Can, which he can. And he's been in a number of hit musicals to prove it, including Can't Smile Without You, featuring songs by Barry Manilow, and Joseph and His Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. I close my eyes. Yeah, I'll shut up. This year he released a box set, The Complete Picture, The Albums, 1991, to 2012, which consists of five CDs and one DVD. He continues to tour, write, and occasionally play with his dad and brother as part of the Tremolos. Chesney has always looked to me like one of the nicest men in show business. I think this conversation may well secure him that title. I hope you have as much fun listening to it as I had having it. Where are you? Are you in Los Angeles? Or? No, I'm actually back at my folks' house at the moment. Um, ah. 
I have a little, um, this is my kind of home away from home. I mean, like a little log cabin. Oh, well, that'll do, wouldn't it? And, and look, the best bit about it, hang on, the best bit about it is we're right on the river, look. Oh, my God, that's fantastic. Isn't that beautiful? So, yeah, so it's, I'm very lucky to have this, my 50 years old and uh, living with my folks. <laughs> 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 yeah, well, there are times. There are times where I wish you know, yeah, <laughs> it yeah. would be nice to go back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But I've discovered some strange connections between, well, they're tenuous, really. Uh, one, I've also had a number one hit. Ah, mm. what, which one was that, Mike? Well, I sang the lead vocal on the chicken song for Spitting Image. Oh, my God, that's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> what a great claim to fame that is. Well, maybe. That's awesome. Maybe, I don't know. I, you know what? I bought it, Mike. Did you? I had it. I, I was target demographic back then. You were absolutely the right age, yeah. Well, yeah, because if you think about that, it was, well, 87, something like that? Would yeah. That yeah, so I would have been, yeah, 16. Yes. Like <laughs> a 16-year-old boy. You would have gone, I get this joke. Oh, my God, yeah, absolutely. And at that moment in my life, I didn't get pocket money, but my mum bought me every time there was a new number one on seven-inch vinyl. Wow. So I probably got that on seven-inch vinyl somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> I want a thing to have kept going, though. Yeah. What a shame you didn't. I know, I know. Although, you know, I think it's probably good that it stopped after my youth, if you know what I mean. Uh, yeah. I guess I could have carried on doing that, but uh, but these days you can't buy no. seven-inch vinyls. No. So, you know, what, what am I going to do? Collect it on Spotify? Yeah, well, that's about <laughs> it, isn't it, really? I, for a while, yeah. I kept, when things went digital, I thought, oh, I'm going to get a collection of all the number ones digitally. Yeah. And I spent... Yeah months doing it months and months you know searching through the internet and paid a fortune for downloading and it would take you sort of 20 minutes to download a single oh yeah i remember that yeah yeah those days. now i could just go show me all the number ones well exactly it's probably a spotify playlist you know uh, all uk number ones you know just do it <laughs> it's so infuriating isn't it yeah because yeah. for a long time number ones were they were an unusual thing to happen totally you know if you got a number one you were there for a number of weeks so in a year hmm. there would be you know 12 number ones yeah yeah. But then it went to the position where every week it changed. Yeah, it's weird now. I mean, I, I don't follow the charts at all now. I mean, when I was a kid, I, that's all I did. I lived for that Sunday afternoon, you know, the countdown. Yeah. Uh, and and obviously watching Top of the Pops on a Thursday, I think it was, wasn't it? Yeah. And yeah, and God, I lived for all that stuff. And, and I couldn't wait to buy that record. And, you know, and I've got still got all my old albums on vinyl, you know, Prince stuff. And, oh, have you? Yeah, and you too. Yeah. And I've got all the, all the Beatles. I made the mistake of getting rid of them. I think I've still got the Beatles. Yeah. But I got rid of lots of other stuff. My two boys both have a turntable each, so they, they've been collecting vinyl themselves now. Yeah, well, it's well back in, isn't it? It's great stuff. Yeah. I recently bought myself a turntable because I missed it. Yes. I missed that process of going, okay, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to listen to some music. Yeah, exactly. And it's nothing quite like the warmth of the vinyl, like the, the noise as the needle hits the record and uh, just it takes you back, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you get those particular noises on your own record as well, don't you? They're unique. Yeah. You get your own little clicks and bumps that you recognize yeah. and you know them. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And sometimes it would miss a whole verse and go back to the other verse. <laughs> <laughs> I had a copy of Kate Bush, England by Lionheart, mm. which is just a gorgeous song. Yeah. And for me, it always goes, Oh, England. My life. And that is a little... Right, a little groove, little, a little, little groove. snap in there, yeah. yeah. 
funny. <laughs> Things you remember. Yeah. It's just amazing. Oh, I do love Kate Bush. See, Hounds of Love was my Kate Bush era. Oh, it was a beautiful. Running up that hill and uh, fantastic stuff. Cloud busting. Yeah, it's yeah. just beautiful. Yeah. Amazing. And the other weird connection I have with you is that I once went to dinner at a friend of mine called Robert Bathurst, who's an actor who lives near me. And he said, Mike, this is Steve. He runs a local farm here. And this is uh, Peter. He's the local butcher. Uh, and this is Roger. He's, um, well, he's he's in The Who. Oh, uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> and so all those years ago, that film that you made with, with Roger yeah. Daughtry. Yeah, oh gosh. So you had a, what, like a dinner with, with him? We did. And, we had an yeah. extraordinary dinner. Yeah, I bet. We had an amazing dinner where, you know, everybody sort of avoided asking him the obvious questions. We had a very <laughs> nice meal. And then right at the end of it, somebody opened a bottle of wine and we all went, oh my God, what is this? This is amazing. <laughs> what? And he went, yeah, I brought that. Went, what is it? And it was some sort of Petrus 1965 or something. Yeah, right, exactly. And he said, I've got it from the cellar. Yeah. <laughs> Of course he did. So of course he I did. went with him in the because he didn't drink. So he said, I'll drive you down and get some more if you want some. I said, okay, let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah. We got in his car and he drove like a rock star. Of course he did. Yeah. Of course he did. Faster than the wind, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what uh, a brilliant thing. Yeah, I haven't seen Rog for a while, but, like, you know, he's obviously uh, very much a father figure for me. And, you know, we... We'd stay in contact now and again at birthdays and stuff. Oh, how nice. Yeah, he's, he got to meet my kids. I took my kids down to the farm and everything. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a, he's slightly more of a recluse these days, you know. He's getting on mm. a bit, I guess. But he's still on tour. <laughs> he's still playing. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Incredible. Well, they all keep going, don't they? Your brother plays with the tremolos now, doesn't he? Yeah, actually, funnily enough, I play with the tremolos as well. Do you? Yeah. God. Well, last year, last year, my father was, he had a, a tremolos tour booked, a 60s gold tour. Brilliant. And um, unfortunately, he hasn't been very well. And um, he did a couple of gigs, but then he kind of just couldn't carry on. Uh, what a shame. I happened to be in the country. I was about to go back to LA, actually. My brother's the drummer in the band, mm-hmm. always has been. What well, always has, what my life. And <laughs> <laughs> since I've been around, he's played with the Trevolos, you know. Yeah. So Jody was like, why don't you uh, why don't you come in and fill in for the old man? And of course, I know the songs at the back of my hand, you know. And I was like, mm-hmm. uh, all right. Yeah. <laughs> all right. You know, so we drove to Norwich. Jody and I drove to Norwich. And I had a guitar, you know, sticking out the window, trying to remember, here comes my baby. And he's like, oh, we do a different arrangement of that one. And that." And I was like, okay, oh, shit. Yeah. So got it together, did the show. And then dad couldn't do the whole tour. So I ended up doing the whole tour. Wow. It was really quite fun, actually, being introduced as the tremolos. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you know, and did they tell him that you were going to do it? Well, the way that it worked, because dad was like always possibly going to make it back because he was, mm-hmm. you know, not well, but maybe he'll get better. So they never announced that he wasn't going to be there. So when it came to the tremolos, because it was uh, the marmalade, Herman's Hermits, Jerry's Pacemakers oh. and the tremolos was the headlines. Brilliant. So so basically they got to that point in the show and the compad just said, unfortunately, Chip is not going to be available. He's, he's not very well, bless him. So the crowd, Went, oh, you know, and he said, but we do have his two wee lads to fill in. So, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Jody Hawks and Chesney Hawks with the Trebolos. That's oh, how it works. Brilliant. I bet they went mad. Yeah, it was it was kind of like, you know, letting them down and then, oh, you know, yeah. it, was, it was fun. And I've agreed to do the tour, well, be available for the tour again, October, November. So I think I'll because dad's not doing so well either and still. So oh. we'll we'll see. Uh maybe he'll make a few appearances, but you know, I will be. <laughs> I'll be out as the Tremolos with my brother. Fantastic. (laughs) 
Well, you should keep it going, of course, you know. That proves that silence isn't golden. Ah, hey. That's right, yeah. <laughs> Funnily enough, I spent yesterday, um, I've got a little studio set up here and I'm going to be doing a bunch of solo gigs through the year. I thought it'd be a good idea to to throw in Silence is Golden. Yeah. And so what I did was I got the old man in the log cabin here and I got him to record the, the three parts of Silence is Golden harmonies. And I'm going to do a cappella version of that song with me singing the lead and dad doing all of the harmonies. Oh my God. Yeah. So what I, what I need to do now, I'm try and record him, video him singing in three different angles, if you see what I mean, and have him, the three of him behind me singing. So that's my plan. Oh God, Chesney, when are you playing? It's all on chesneyhawks.com. I'm going to come. I'm definitely coming. (laughs) Great. That'll make me cry. Yeah. I just know it will. Yeah. I'm going to definitely get that together. If the old man is willing to to be filmed. Yeah. (laughs) We'll see how it goes. (laughs) Well, he has an illness that is called multiple myeloma. Mm. It's a cancer of of the bone marrow. Yeah. And uh, what happens to most people is they break a bone and they don't know how they managed it because it attacks the bones. It makes them brittle. Right. So my dad, he found out, unfortunately, by breaking his back and he broke five vertebrae in his back. Oh my God. And so he's lost like five inches in height. So he's kind of stooped over now, mm. which is a, you know, a real shame. And but what I'm saying is he, he doesn't look the same, you know, he's, uh, I mean, he used to be taller than me and now he's four inches yeah. shorter than me, you know, so. But can still sing those harmonies. Can still do it. Yeah, absolutely. And as the recordings testify. Fantastic. <laughs> okay, brilliant. So let's find out. What's the first thing then that you'd like to put from your life in a time capsule? All right. Well, the first thing is when I was a kid in the 70s, we had a piano and it was it's a baby grand Broadway piano. And it used to belong to John Lennon. Oh my God. And the story goes, the story goes, my dad in the early seventies was working at Titnus Park Studios, which is the house is John Lennon's old house. Is that where Imagine was filmed? Yes. If you ever see the Imagine videos with John and Yoko walking around the gardens. Mm -hmm. So that's Titnus Park. There was a studio there and my dad happened to be recording there and he turned up to work one day and there's this piano sitting on the lawn in the rain. And it wasn't long after Lennon had moved to New York and sold Titnus Park to Ringo. Right. So dad asked the engineer, what, what's the deal with that piano out there? And he said, oh yeah, that, that's, uh, that was John's and uh, Ringo doesn't want it. So he's just, he's just put it out there for now. Oh no. So dad was, I was just going to get ruined. He said, yeah, I know. I, I don't know what to say. You know, he's like, well, I could take it if you want. And he's, he said, uh, well, um, <laughs> I'll ask, I'll ask Ringo. So he came back to work the next day. He said, did you manage to talk to Ringo about the piano? He said, yeah, 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 you can have it. No worries. So dad just legged it out of the studio, found a mate <laughs> with a transit van. Yeah, I bet. He literally backed it up, put it in the back of a transit van and brought that home. And that's the piano that I learned to play on. Oh my God. <laughs> so it was in my front room. And I like the first song I ever learned to play was Imagine, mm. honestly. So that's why I'm such a John Lennon freak. <laughs> I went to New York when I was 19 and uh, I was there to promote a record, but I was only interested in going to all the places that John Lennon had been, you know, photographed at or famously had lived or, and yeah, obviously yeah. died at the Dakota. But I did, it's like a pilgrimage for me. I went to the Imagine Circle in Strawberry Fields. And then I wrote a song about it called John Lennon Lived Here. Mm. Um, with Nick Kershaw, for enough. Anyway, that piano, uh, when my parents moved out of their house that I grew up in uh, and moved to a smaller house, I inherited the piano and it came to my house when my kids started to learn on that piano. (laughs) 
And then when I moved to the States 10 years after that, I gave it to Nick Kershaw or I lent it to Nick yeah, Kershaw. Lent it, lent it. Yeah, 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 exactly. My dad always says, you didn't give it to him, did you? <laughs> <laughs> so it's now sitting in Nick's front room, you know? So um, wow. if that piano could talk, eh? Not to talk about the value of a thing like that, because without <laughs> yeah. a doubt, we know yeah. if you can genuinely prove that these were instruments used by the Beatles and suddenly those yeah. things are ridiculously expensive. Yeah. But the very fact of having had him play on that. Yeah, it's you know, pretty... In that room, I mean, I know that the Imagine video yeah. is on a large white grand piano, isn't it? Yeah, it's not that piano. No. That piano actually was bought by George Michael. Right. Yeah, so I don't know where that is. Probably in his estate or something. There, there yeah. is a white grand piano at the Beatles Museum uh, in Liverpool. Mm. They've recreated that whole room, all completely white, got a white grand piano in there and everything, but it's not the original one. Ah, right. You really are a Beatles aficionado then, aren't you? Well, I do, I do love the Beatles. I do. I really do. I mean, to be honest with you, I always say, I don't know if I would be the same songwriter without those records, mm. you know, I always refer back to what would, what would Paul do? <laughs> what would John do? You know, I feel like those songs, then they, they weren't written. They were just part of our, our culture. They were breathed into life, you know, mm. and, that, and that was it. They were always there. You can't quite believe it, can you? When they say, well, we just sat down and wrote this song. No, or we were just messing about. And now we've got evidence. Now we've got the footage and we can see them do it. Wasn't it amazing? It's astonishing, isn't it? Absolutely astonishing. You know, that moment where, where McCartney was sitting down, just willing, get back out. Mm. And you could hear the kind of genesis of it. And he's just playing and playing and just <sighs> kept going and kept going. And suddenly he's got the hook. And, and then you've got, you know, very bored George Harrison and Ringo Starr sitting there with their hands on their face. Like, <laughs> looked like they'd been there for hours. And suddenly Ringo goes, get back. Yeah. Oh, that's good. I like that. <laughs> it's yeah. like, wow. And then off they go. They just join in. And that's it. That's just and there good. it is. I know. And same with so many songs in that footage. Like, you know, when he was just tinkering away on the ivories with Long and Winding Road before it was a song. It's like, oh my mm. God. I just, I, I cried. I did. I cried. I was like, wow. It's actual evidence, as you say, of it coming into existence. It's just absolutely incredible. Yes, it is really moving, isn't it? Yeah. I, I did a radio comedy in the 80s. And we had a joke in it that then became part of the Beatles myth, as it were. I said the line, Ringo Starr, he's not the best drummer in the world. And I said, well, he's probably not the best drummer in the Beatles. And that's the first time that line was ever said. You know, that famous line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought it was John Lennon who said that. Exactly. It wasn't. It was me. (laughs) Wow. Well, there's another amazing claim to fame you have there. (laughs) I don't think it's a claim to fame. I think it's just one of those strange things. But it's very weird to be somewhat slightly involved with the story of the Beatles. To me, it's almost enough. I sort of go, wow, my life has been worthwhile. Yeah, it's a great quote. (laughs) It's a great quote. (laughs) <laughs> I don't think they were particularly pleased about it. Whenever they were asked, they were always annoyed, weren't they? No, we wouldn't say that. Why would we say that? <laughs> because it's true. <laughs> <laughs> well, he certainly wasn't the best pianist. There's no doubt about that. Oh, God, no, no, definitely What not. a thing to do to a baby grand. I know, I know. Just oh. unbelievable, yeah. But he was the perfect drummer for that band. Yeah. I, I love yeah. it when you can see the, or hear the multi-tracks and you just, and I've heard it where they just bring up the drums on the day in the life. And it just sounds like some bloke having a bang around. I mean, yeah. <laughs> there's no, no particular time to it. It's random. It's weird. 
but it, if you bring everything else in, it's like, it's genius, you know, mm. it's absolutely genius. <laughs> mm. but technically, probably not the best drummer in the Beatles, as you say. So <laughs> No. Oh, but what a lovely thing to have. Well, I think you need to ring Nick Kershaw and, and just make sure that he's polished it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I often go up to visit and, uh, you know, have a little tinker. And it reminds me of my youth because there's no... If you're a piano player, there's no keyboard quite like the keyboard you learn to play on. It has a softer touch. It's an old, I think it's 1890s, I think, like, something like that. Mm. Uh, so it's soft. It's been kind of worn down. Uh, the ivory is a little bit rounded, you know, uh, and it's different to most other pianos, you know. So it kind of takes me right back to my youth just playing it. Yeah, that's slow action. Almost. Yeah, yeah, totally. It's got a, I call it a soft action because, you know, I've got um, a Yamaha upright at home that my wife bought me that is, it's full on hard, you know. I, mean, <laughs> I like it actually. And you can play like boogie woogie on it really, really easily because it's got a real kind of a tenseness to it, you know, very loud upright. And uh, it's just a very, very different thing. It's just a completely different instrument, you know. Mm. When you write, do you write with guitar or with piano? Oh, both. Well, whatever comes my oh. way. Um, I love the piano. I really do. Uh, I'm, it's, it's my first love. <laughs> but guitar, uh, you can do more with the guitar. You know, it's like, I feel like the mother of all instruments is the piano. Mm. Any musician should have a grounding in piano. I really do think so. And for me, I know what I'm doing on the piano keyboard. You know, it's like I, I know where everything is. I know where I am. I know everything about it. Guitar has always been a bit of a mystery to me. I can play, <laughs> yeah. but I still, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just doing it. <laughs> just sort of, <laughs> yeah. Perfect. All right. Well, we will take that baby grand and we'll keep it out of the rain and keep it safe in the time capsule for you. In a nice, uh, I guess it would have to be controlled temperature. Absolutely. And sealed. I don't want any warping. No. No. We have to have it sealed in a particularly nice capsule, I'd say. Mm-hmm. But, but we can we can negotiate with that. Okay. But in the meantime, it'll be hermetically sealed. <laughs> yeah. It's safe. Perfect. It's safe. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Lovely. Okay, Chesney, that's your first item. So let's move on to what you put in for the second item. I'm going to put my wedding ring in there. Oh, lovely. Yeah. I've been married for 25 years this year, mate. Congratulations. Thank you. That's the silver, isn't it? Yeah. It's an actual proper achievement, isn't it? It's like a mm-hmm. real moment, you know? Um, so yeah, we got married in 1997 and, you know, we have three grown up kids now and still very, very much in love. And she is the most important person in my life and always will be. And so, yeah, I wanted to kind of mark in my time capsule about me. Mm-hmm. You know, I have to have a piece of my wife there. And uh, so there you go. That, that's definitely going in there. Perhaps it could sit on top of the, of the piano there, you know. Just, <laughs> nice. Yes. <laughs> just where I'd put the sheet music, just, mm-hmm. just a little bit by there, yeah. Where did you buy it? Tell me about the ring. Well, no, my, my, my wife, she got this for me. So uh, there's a place in Indiana where she's from. She's from Indiana. Mm-hmm. That her mother had always got all her jewellery made and everything. Oh. And so she would have made it at, at this place called uh, Images. <laughs> and it's like an, an old-fashioned, proper... And it was made specifically for me. So, mm. yeah. And I'm trying, oh my God, isn't it terrible? I've got an inscription in it, but I can't even read it with my, with my glasses. <laughs> I should know exactly what it says in there, but it definitely says the date and everything. And there is a little message from my wife. I can't read it now. Isn't that mad? It says, even when you get old enough to not read this, I will still love you. There you go. That's exactly what it says. Yeah. Well done, Mike. Thank you. <laughs> oh, brilliant. So how did you meet then? Oh, we met. She was a model back in the day. Um, Enough said. 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Pop star model. Well, that's 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 a keeper, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. We we basically uh, have defied all of the odds, you know, because mm. most people that meet at that point in their life in those businesses will yeah. probably be a fleeting escapade, shall we say, mm-hmm. uh, dalliance. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, we met in a pub. Um, she was doing the whole New York, Milan, Paris, London, and she, and she was passing through London, and it was the fourth of July. So she was celebrating with another model friend of hers. And for some crazy reason, she decided to go to the Edinburgh Castle in Mortlake in West London. Right. And it was a little pub not far from my where I was living at the time. And my mate, Miles, was playing guitar there. And it was a shitty little place, like spit and sawdust kind of place, you know, mm. and a bit of a crappy gig, you know, like, and he called us up, me and my flatmate beforehand and said, uh, oh, can you just come along and support? Because I know what it's going to be like. It's going to be, you know, two men in flat caps and a Jack Russell. And I'm just, <laughs> uh, it's going to be soul destroying. I just know it. So come and come along. And so we're like, all right. So me and Ash, my flatmate, we, we turned up and he was right. It actually completely was that, yeah. <laughs> you know, and he's in the corner playing his music and, and I'm sitting at the bar with Ash with a pint and these two beautiful American <laughs> models walked in <laughs> and, you know, the angel sang and, uh, wow. uh, and that was it. You know, she came in and, and she actually came in with this friend Tess and uh, a friend of hers that actually was a mutual friend that I knew right. a guy and um, she came in and I was introduced and I said, can I buy you a, a drink? And she said, I'll have a pint of lager. I was like, will you marry me? <laughs> <laughs> can I now buy you a ring? Yeah, that was it. Yeah. So, and, you know, she was moved in two months after that. And we never looked back. 25 years later, three kids. Brilliant. You know. And none of that makes any sense, does it, really, when you look no, at it? No, not at all. Not at all. It's like, if you ever believe in fate, I guess that's it, isn't it? Because, mm. you know, why would she have been at the Edinburgh Castle on the 4th of July to celebrate her, you know, independence know. <laughs> and everything. The day she lost her independence. And the day she lost her independence. As I always say on our wedding, because we got married on the 4th of July, two years after that. Oh, wow. That's our wedding anniversary. And I always say that this is my my lack of independence day. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very wise thing to put the day we started going out and your wedding day together. Well done. Well, you know what I'm saying? Well, I always forget the day that we started going out with my wife, always. <laughs> and, and I shouldn't. Because it was three days before my 21st birthday. So, in fact, but I'm rather selfishly at that point thinking, oh, it's nearly my birthday. <laughs> of course. <laughs> yes. You don't, you don't say, it's nearly my birthday. That's when I met my wife. No. Yes. <laughs> what an idiot. And every year, just before my birthday, I get that terrible guilt of waking up and finding a card next to me. I've done it again. No. <laughs> oh, Mike. oh well there we are well 25 years and the strange thing is that just recently with the queen's 70 jubilee Mm. i remember very clearly her 25th jubilee and thinking wow that's a long time how about that (laughs) and and now it's 70 so i hope to still be you know i'll call you from the old people's home (laughs) and say congratulations you remember me Congratulations, mate. You made it to 70. So you're going to turn into an old West Ham fan? Uh, I am going to get... turn it basically into... Oh, leave it out, mate. Leave it out, son. Come on, you Amers. <laughs> oh, I love it. Oh, I love it, mate. That made me giggle. 
<laughs> well, all right then, lovely. Let's put your wedding ring into the time capsule as your second item. Right, okay. Brilliant. I'm really, I'm really enjoying this. <laughs> okay, let's move on to number three. Right, it's time to take a short ad break, but this is the only ad break, so sit back and relax, and we'll be back soon. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Welcome back. So, hands up how many of you thought when I said the only at break that I was going to use the title of Chesley's big hit again for a cheap laugh. Well, I am disappointed in you. I'm bigger than that. Right, let's find out what else Chesney Hawks would like to put in his time capsule. You're still waiting for it, aren't you? You're pathetic. Okay. Funnily enough, I've got a whole list of things and, I, and I'm ah. deciding as I go here um, mm-hmm. and changing my mind about things as well. Isn't that funny? Okay. Well, it'd be interesting yeah. to find out the things that you don't pick then. Yeah. Well, we can go into that and I'll tell you which ones I didn't pick and I did pick. So okay. um, I'm going to go for my songbook, my, my journal. Mm-hmm. I, it's funny because I've had journals obviously through the years and the way that I tend to do it is I have one book for like journaling and I end up putting song ideas and song titles and things like that. And then I end up putting full lyrics into it as well. Right. Because more often than not, my songs are personal to me Mm. and mean something and come from the heart, you know? And I end up, um, I just naturally did this from maybe kind of teens where I would also put in like photographs of what's going on in my life at that point or, uh, you know, quotes that inspired me or, or headlines even from what's going on in, in the world at that particular moment. Yeah. And just silly things like, I, I don't know, I went to the Seychelles with a couple of mates and I, I stuck in like a beer mat <laughs> in, into one of my journals, you know, and just things like that, that just kind of take you back, you know? Yeah. Uh, that's perfect. Yeah. I, I love it. And in front of my daughter has, has picked up the mantle and started doing, doing what she calls her, her scrapbook, which I guess that's what it is really. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but the difference with mine is I'm writing songs in it and I'm journaling as well. It started off with two different books, like, you know, my song book and my journal. And then it just kind of all morphed into one. Brilliant. Because I thought, well, why not? Because it's all the same thing. You know, I do sometimes do this thing where 
I call it the morning pages. Have you ever heard of The Artist's Way? There's a book called The Artist's Way, yeah. which I read when I was probably about 15. Mm. And the one thing I got out of that book was this thing called The Morning Pages. And basically you're supposed to just get up. The first thing you do before you do anything, just as you open your eyes, is just grab your journal and just write whatever comes into your head. Anything. It doesn't matter if it doesn't make any sense. It can be complete <laughs> gobbledygook. More often than not, it actually ends up being you know, making some kind of sense and you kind of have journaled my dreams or whatever, you know, just what I'm doing today. Well, uh, and sometimes it can be very banal and kind of boring. Other times it can be quite poetic and just full of verve and, and whatever. So I do that sometimes in my journal as well. I don't do it as much as I'd like to, you know, I do, mm. I kick myself sometimes and I think, oh shit, I haven't written in my journal for like a month. Like, so yeah, yeah. what's going on? It's almost like you get scared of it or something. <laughs> you know, it's so weird. Um, but it has become a kind of, you know, my life in a, in a book. Mm. And there's a few of them. And I guess if I'm allowed to amalgamate them into one big book. <laughs> I'll get them nicely bound. Thank you. I appreciate that. I was yeah. thinking uh, that, would be, that would be nice. Uh, I'll get them all sent over okay. as soon as we're done here. <laughs> <laughs> so do you find that you're writing something and suddenly that will inspire you to start a lyric? Yeah. I was, I was sometimes those morning pages that I was talking about mm. actually become a lyric. Yeah, that happens a lot. Fantastic. Yeah, it's actually a really good way of you know getting over writer's block. That's a fantastic exercise for anyone creative that is going through any kind of block or doesn't know what to write about or whatever is that exact thing because your brain is creative mm. whether you feel like it or not. It, it's turning over and there are ideas in there. There's stuff in there that you want to, you might want to get out. Mm. And it's a really good way of getting it out. Actually, you know, is I think David Bowie used to do it as well. And he used to, he used to just write loads of different words, words that he liked mm. that for whatever reason, sparked something, got his juices flowing. And he just write loads of little words on little bits of paper and then he just spread them all out on the floor and just put them together and stuff like that. I, I love all that. Yeah. So that sort of explains often the strange juxtaposition of words that yeah, he has. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. yeah absolutely. I'm sure maybe John Lennon did something similar because he's <laughs> his lyrics in some of the old Beatles songs are like so outrageous, like from Happiness is a Warm Gun, for instance, you know. Mm. <laughs> there, there are those notebooks, those John Lennon notebooks, aren't there, with yeah. little cartoons. He was a great cartoonist. He was. He? he was a great cartoonist. Yeah. He, yeah. Uh, he, I love his self-portraits with the hair and everything. And yeah. Little glasses. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like all those people who can do that, so simple and yet really clearly, obviously, John Lennon. Yes. It's amazing. Oh, totally. You can always tell when it when it's a John sketch. Yeah, mm, totally. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I wonder how it... I mean, I suppose that is, you think about it, that, that sort of morning session that you're talking about, that's a bit like Paul McCartney with that guitar, just strumming away. I've got <laughs> a sequence of chords here. He is just yeah. making up... He's making sounds yeah. to begin with, isn't he? Just yeah, I did that naturally as well. And it's something that Nick Kershaw taught me when, because we've been writing together for 32 years now, something mm -hmm. like that. And one of the things that he used to do back in the day that I, that I still try and do now is more often than not, I think most songwriters will probably agree with me here is that music comes more naturally than lyrics, you know, so you'll have a, little chord sequence and a little melody or so. And you mm -hmm. just kind of mouth stuff, you know, so you go over a thing and you just, so what Nick did with me is that we would make a little kind of a track. We'd write the music and, and have the track kind of going on loop. And he'd send me into the vocal booth and he's like, just sing anything. Just sing. <laughs> don't worry, don't worry about, it. don't, don't think, just sing. And 
you just do. And you just go in there. It's like you, you sit with rappers, you know, they're just freestyling or whatever, you know, mm. that creative juice just suddenly comes. So you sing for like 10 minutes or something and just stuff. And you come back to little themes and you go off on another tangent and come back. And so then you come back in and you listen through a lot of it might be a load of old shit, you know, mm. <laughs> but then you'll pick one little bit of melody. Ooh, that's, that's a nice little, see where, see where that, that note kind of was, you know, slightly blue on that moment there. Let's see, let's follow that route. And, you know, you come up and you're off. Yeah, you know? yeah. And I, I love, I absolutely love that. There's lots of little tricks like that in songwriting and, uh, you know, that I've kind of kept in the, keep in the top pocket, you know? You do analyse things like the Beatles lyrics mm. and you can almost see, like you say, that thing of just sing something. Yeah. So singing, she loves you. I don't yeah. know what that was. Yeah. going to say, yeah, 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 yeah. That's all right. Actually, that's quite good. I like that. Yeah, that quite works. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And accepting that innocence and that simplicity in your writing mm. is often a difficult thing. Like you say, you've got 30 years of writing experience. And so the quandary in those circumstances is not the writing, but the self-criticism. Totally. So I find that the first thing that comes is normally the best. Because it sometimes, I mean, I don't want to get too spiritual about it or anything, but sometimes I feel like it just kind of comes down. Yeah. And it's like, it's a channeling of some sort, you know, I mean, it obviously comes from your own head somewhere, but it just blurts, you know, mm. and sometimes those are the moments uh, that you need to just follow. The best songs in, in my experience, the ones that stick, the ones that people like, the ones that people relate to are the ones that come quickest. There's a song on my latest uh, album that hasn't been released yet. That um, was the first thing that me and my co-writer, Jake Gosling, were writing. And it's the first thing that came out. It was just like, boom. And we wrote this song in half an hour mm -hmm. and it was done. Lyrics, everything done. Yeah. And it was just like, oh, well, that was easy. Let's do it. Let's do another one. And then, of course, the next one took like four days, you know. <laughs> but that's kind of the way it works, you know. That is, that's the Ed Sheeran argument, isn't it? That's what he's been okay. saying recently is that yeah. once you set off on a path and it's there in front of you and you can see yeah. it all, it's really quick. You can do, as you say, half an hour. Yeah. But and as time goes on, you think, oh, perhaps I should do something more clever than that there must be a better rhyme than that or yeah you know i've gone for the obvious one well that that is the bane of anyone's creative process mm. really because you know i have friends that are amazing songwriters and then just bloody ruin it by overthinking it yes. and that first song that i wrote with jake on this particular project mm. that took half an hour and then we ended up deciding to make a whole album so we made this whole album which took like you know six months or so and then that first song is going to end up being the first single <laughs> of so, course Course, you know, yeah. that's always, it's just, I know. Yeah, yeah. The only songs I write are for my grandchildren and they, they basically test me to find as many rhymes for the words we and poo that I can. <laughs> so <laughs> one day I'm going to release an album of them. <laughs> yeah. It's a little bit, it's quite a niche market. It though, is. Mike. It is. Well, I don't know. Yeah. I think we could find it's larger than you think. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think you're right. There's a lot of kids out there and a lot of silly blokes. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Right. So we're going to take all of your journals and I'm going to bind them beautifully. Yes. Leather bound. If you would. And we should put them, I might even build a library. There you go. I have a whole library. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a niche market. <laughs> well, I think they'd be fascinating to look through. I think that quite often these things do yeah. reveal things about people. Oh, they do. They really do. You know. One day somebody will, will want to look at those. 
Well, there, I, you know, you hear about people that um, my best friend, his mother just passed away and he's found all of these love letters and things from, from her past that, wow. you know, it's just a real kind of window into what she was like mm. as a young woman. And, and it's just fascinating, you know, so, you know, maybe one day my kids will look through my journals and think, oh, I wonder what happened to that song. <laughs> <laughs> or, or he might, you know, my, my youngest is a musician, so he might, oh, I might, I might steal that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, great. <laughs> might use that, yeah. <laughs> Keep it in the family. <laughs> Brilliant. But we've got the proof, of course. Got the proof. Yeah, you've got the copyright, mate. <laughs> go, go to Mike's leather-bound library. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Okay, so that's three things we've put in. So we've got two left, one that you want to keep All right. and one that you want to get rid of. Okay. And uh, let me think. Oh God, I was so many. We're going to have to say a few that we're... Okay. Uh, let's have a look now. Because if you think you know what the last two might be, what are the ones that you've missed out? Okay. So some of the ones I've missed out, let's have a look. Okay, uh, one of them is the acoustic that I learned to play on, uh, which, you know, I thought we've done the piano mm-hmm. and, you know, so that, I thought I'll leave that one. Yeah. And the acoustic came from a local shop and... Well, it was my dad's actually. Oh. It was my dad's old ovation. And I remember when I was a kid, we had a friend come over and, and he had a little three-year-old girl and she picked it up like that. And then she did, and everyone's like, whoa. <laughs> and she just went whoop like that. And it just landed on, on its end and the whole head just kind of oh, broke no. and the neck was like snapped in half, but we got it fixed. And I learned to play on it even after that, you know, and I still love that guitar. Yeah. Um, so I left that one out. Okay, what else? The other one is our family dinner bell. Uh, We've had this thing. A friend of ours gave this really amazing, it looks like a kind of a Buddhist bell. It's like a big brass chain with a big brass bell on it, which has been in our kitchen uh, since the kids were little. And um, it was always hanging on the wall. And we used it as a dinner bell their whole <laughs> lives. And we still have it in the kitchen, like oh, all these years later. So I, that was that was a really lovely one. You know, mm. whenever we ring it now, it's rare now, you know, when they hear it. But they're like, oh, it's the dinner bell, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, lovely Christmas. Yeah, exactly. So Brilliant. that that would have gone in, but, you know, it can't because I've only got two more. Yeah. The other one was, I just came up as we were talking, was my, my Beatles vinyl collection. Oh, my <laughs> I was God, like, yeah. Yeah. I was like, well, that's got to go in, surely, you know, but maybe not. So, okay, so let's go with the last two then, shall we? Absolutely. Now that we've let all those go. Um, the last one I want to put in this time capsule is my 1986-87 season West Ham top. <laughs> uh, right. i don't know if you're a football man at all mike i am a football man and i I absolutely understand your passion okay okay good you get it yeah so when i was uh very young uh you know probably 12 something like that uh, my dad was a football fan but he was a qpr fan and he wasn't that kind of guy that would take you to football you know he's not he's not that into football Mm. he never took me and my brother but we had a family friend who was a season ticket at West Ham and he was like, I'll take him to football. So, <laughs> so the first game I ever went to with my brother, uh, he was probably 10, uh, you know, I was probably 12. Uh, we went to West Ham Spurs away. So it was, it was at White Hart Lane mm-hmm. and we lost 5-0 <laughs> and all the West Ham fans were doing the okey-cokey up and down the stands. And I was like, yeah, this is my tribe. Uh, brilliant. And you can change everything in your, in your life, can't you, Mike? You know, you can change your hair colour, you can change your car, you can change your wife, <laughs> <laughs> but you can't change your football team. No, no, absolutely not. No, my grandson has chosen Tottenham 
And we don't know why. None of us know why. Oh, God. But he just has. And that's it. And then it's in your blood. He made a horrible error. <laughs> well, yeah, all right. So come on, West Ham. It's <laughs> but the reason I choose that top is that Jody and I went home and away to every single game that, that season. Wow. Yeah, we were there for all of the evening FA Cup first round at, uh, you know, <laughs> Sheffield Wednesday, you know, in the rain or whatever. We did it all, every single Because when you start going to every single game, when you get about halfway through the season, you're like, well, we can't not go to every single game now, you know. So no. we actually managed to do every single game that season. God. That's real dedication. Yeah, it really was. And thank God West Ham weren't in Europe as well. <laughs> oh, God, no. I, I'm sure. I was only 15, so I'd, I'm not sure I would have had the, the funds to cover that. You know, no. Luckily, we had our family friend who was like taking us everywhere. So yeah, know, it wasn't just me and my my 13-year-old brother and my, and my 50-year-old self going up on the train to Leeds or anything. <laughs> it was, you know, we were being looked after by our very good friends, uh, family friends. So uh, uh, We didn't go to school at all that year no <laughs> exactly there was, i think there may have been a couple of like you know leaving school early to get on the train or whatever i bet yeah 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 but good memories you know and uh, and now my 16 year old son indy is absolutely obsessed i mean he lives in the states but mm -hmm. just obsessed with football and in particular west ham you know he's one of those kids that knows every stat and he knows all the transfer details and, yeah. you know, and rumours and who's going where and who used to play for who and I'm, who's the best goal scorer in the, in the league at the moment and, you know, who's got the most assists and you know, he knows it all. <laughs> so he's getting me up because we live in, in, in Los Angeles. The games are on sometimes at midday. That's five in the morning. So yes. sometimes we're getting up at five, rolling out of bed, putting a West Ham scarf on and getting into the uh, lounge. And, Come on, you irons! <laughs> <laughs> how brilliant, though. What a fantastic thing. And how lovely that he's chosen your team. Yeah, but I did say from a very early age to all of the kids that unless they were West Ham, they'd have to move out. So... <laughs> So that, was, that wasn't ever going to be uh, the case. I think once you take them to a game, and I took all of them quite young, mm. then, you know, you've chosen. So that's it. Okay, it's in. It's in now. Phew. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's locked in there. <laughs> I locked them in early. <laughs> and, and how do you like the new stadium? Well, it, at first I felt it was like, you know, lacking in the energy of Upton Park. I mean, it's very hard to beat the energy at Upton Park, you yeah. know, because it was so close. You could almost touch the players, you know, it was mm. so close. And I loved that about it. So going to the London Stadium, it was, you know, you were so far away. Um, and all of those chants that, that football crowds do at Upton Park, you started off, it would start off in the corner in the stands. And of course, it would just quickly kind of fill the whole stadium. And suddenly everyone's singing, Johnny loves Claire Blimey and all that. <laughs> but at the uh, London Stadium, when it, when it started in one corner, it's so big that the other side of the stadium couldn't hear it. So it never really spread, if you know what uh, I mean. So that yes. energy wasn't quite there to start with. Um, and then it started to kind of get a bit better and feel like home. And I know the West Ham fans were all complaining. It didn't feel like home. But then this season, actually, I think it really clicked in. Um, I went to uh, one of the European games, I went to see Seville, but I've, I've never felt an energy, an atmosphere like that. I mean, mm -hmm. when, it was like, it reminded me when I was a kid, first kind of 
coming up the steps and you see the green and you feel the crowd and it's like the, the smell of the grease paint and the, that kind of, <laughs> or, the, or should I say smell of pork pies or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and so that feeling and just that energy lift, I liken it to the first time you ever see New York, you come over the Manhattan bridge and you, mm. you see the skyline. It's like, Oh wow. It's like a rush. You know, that feeling is the same. And, and I got that again at the London stadium when I first walked out on, into the stadium and, and the crowd was just absolutely rammed solid and there's lights and it was just, oh, it was phenomenal. So Yeah, but there's a certain joy, isn't there, in a team not doing well, I think. Yeah. My younger brother is a Crystal Palace fan and right. uh, he gets great thrills. Oh, completely. You know, just fantastic. Well, the camaraderie you build up with a team like West Ham and with supporters like West Ham fans, because we've been through it, you know, I, I've experienced relegation a few times. Mm -hmm. Have you ever played on the pitch? Um, no, I've never even stepped foot on, not at Upton Park really? or at the London Stadium. No. We'll have to put a request in with Russell Brand. Yeah, go on, Russ. You can sort me out, mate. <laughs> <laughs> How fantastic, though. Yeah, it's many, many years of agony, but also joy. <laughs> exactly. I love it. And I love the agony. Yeah, the agony. The best reaction I ever saw from a crowd was a West Ham crowd who basically laughed and cheered and clapped at a chant at Crystal Palace once, where Crystal Palace was singing... We're shit, but we're three nil up. <laughs> That's classic West Ham. I love it. I love it. But you see, you don't see that. It's not reported so much, that kind of stuff, is it? No. It's like, I remember back in the mid 80s, Man City came to Upton Park and we beat them and it sent them down into relegation. And we all came onto the pitch, or at least I didn't, but they were all singing at the Man City crowd. You'll be back, you'll be back, you'll be back. You know, brilliant. And of course, that was right in the middle of the kind of uh, hooliganism and all that mm. and the bad reputation of football. And, uh, you know, those kind of things weren't reported, but there's a, a natural kind of camaraderie between fans mm. and respect. There's a lot of respect there as well, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Any fan would respect somebody who went to every game home and away for a whole year. <laughs> and I'm glad that show reminds <laughs> you of it. I'm going to carefully, very carefully. Just fold it up nicely. Absolutely. Yeah. Don't worry. It's very safe. It's got tissue paper. I love it. Tissue paper. It could go into one of those boxes, you know, that kind of seals shut as well mm -hmm. so that nothing gets in. No, and it retains the smell. <laughs> of the grease paint and hot dogs. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Chesney, how brilliant. That's it. That's the four things that you want to keep that have gone into the time capsule. So now we've got one final thing to put in that you'd like to forget about. It's funny. I have found this one really hard, actually. My, huh? Yeah, my first thought was my phone, but then I thought, no, actually... If I did that, I'd need it to call my kids. So I don't want to bury that and throw it away. So I plumbed for something that is a bit, it's a bit funny. It's rotten shark. <laughs> right. <laughs> is it a band? It's, no, no, actual rotten shark. Right. I have a real affinity with Iceland. I've, I've spent a lot of time over there and I love the people and I love the place. Um, and I've organized uh, songwriting retreats over there uh, over the years and had all sorts of wonderful songwriters over there. And, and it's a place that I love. And for some reason, their national kind of, what do you call it? A dish, not a dish. It's like a, a thing that they do anyway. And I think it comes from years gone by when, when there was no food. Yeah. And they, they basically, they would hunt the sharks. A delicacy is the word I was looking for. Um, <laughs> they would hunt these sharks and because they're so full of ammonia 
um, you can't eat it. It would be poison. You can't eat the shark as it comes out of the ocean. Right. I didn't know that. So what they do is they bury it. <laughs> yeah. They bury it for like months until it rots. <laughs> They're starving. Yeah. Bury- <laughs> this is what they do. And they dig it up and then they hang it up like this rotten carcass of a shark. <laughs> yeah. And they let it dry. And then, then apparently that's when it's perfect. Like after six months of being rotting in the ground <laughs> and they carve off the meat straight from there and then and they eat it. So the reason I say this is like, I was on one of those kind of touristy trips while I was over there and I had a bunch of songwriters with me uh, and we all went on this uh, thing as, you know, to the rotten shark <laughs> place <laughs> and of course they've got a little gift shop there that sells all the knitted you know mittens and scarves and hats and things like that so i thought oh, i bought a load of that stuff that was quite nice you know all made of like all this incredible wool from iceland and lovely yeah. and then we all tried literally straight up like, the guy was there and he's telling <laughs> oh, no. us these are the sharks and you could smell it and it was disgusting and you're thinking how bad can it be surely i just thought this is a delicacy from years gone by and they still preserve this amazing part of their culture and and you know maybe maybe it's okay mm. you know maybe it's okay so they literally just carve off from the carcass and then they just give it to you <laughs> and so we all tried it and it was like literally everyone was just like <laughs> <laughs> it really does taste like rotten shark <laughs> it is the most disgusting thing you'll ever put the in names mouth. on the tin yeah yeah it was just <laughs> hideous, horrible. And I couldn't get the taste out of my mouth all day, you know? And then what was funny about it, because as I said, the whole area smelt of like, you know, rotten fish. And then I came home back to England where we were living at the time. And I brought these gifts of these amazingly beautiful knitted mittens mm. and scarves. And of course they all smelt like bloody rotten shark. <laughs> <laughs> my wife's like, get that out of our house. you know. <laughs> of course, yeah. <laughs> So, so we can bury the whole rotten carcass. Well, but the Icelandic people will love that. <laughs> oh, you're be- Oh, great, good. Put yes. it in for three or four years. Yes, exactly. Like cook it a little bit more. Like, <laughs> and then I think we could throw the mittens and the hat and the scarf uh, in there as well. Okay, if that's all right with you. Yes, absolutely. It will go in there in their own little <laughs> compartment, and that really is hermetically sealed. I don't want John Lennon's <laughs> piano smelling of rotten shark. Yeah. So what we can do is we'll put those mittens and scarves and hat and we'll put it in one of those plastic bags that you yeah. attach the hoover to <laughs> yes and then we'll suck it right out <laughs> seal it all shut yeah and be done with it has it gone forever <laughs> you never have to suffer that again but the question everybody's asking is why did you ever suffer it in the first place are you mad <laughs> i know the clues in the name rotten shark exactly <laughs> Oh, brilliant. Chesney, it's been really lovely to talk to you. It's so nice of you to do this for me. And uh, I can't wait to see you and your dad singing together on tour together. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Well, if you get to 60sgold.com, that's where all of the venues and everything and where you get tickets and stuff like that. But I can't wait. It's been really (laughs) lovely to talk to you. Thank you so much. You too, Mike. Thanks for having me. You have been listening to my time capsule with me mike finton stevens and my wonderful guest chesney hawks 
My thanks to Chesney and for you for giving me your time and listening. Please do subscribe, rate, and maybe even review this show if you have the time and the inclination. It will be very much appreciated from this direction. You can follow me and my time capsule on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We're very responsive on there, I promise, and are happy to answer questions and hear your suggestions for future guests, particularly if you've got their telephone number. The theme tune for this podcast was written by Pass the Peas Music and is available on Spotify. This was a cast-off production for Acast, and the producer was John Fenton Stevens. Okay, thanks for listening. Gives me a real boost and know you're there. I mean, as a boy I was skinny and feeble and pale. So pale I looked slightly unwell all the time. As a result I had had very few friends. Well, none actually. But made me determined to climb out of that pit of despond. That's when I started singing. I knew it would be that that would help me to discover myself, love myself. In fact, that's why I wrote what was to be my greatest hit. I sang it to a bloke called Nick Kershaw and he told me it just wouldn't work. So I never actually released it, but I hope in some way I inspired his great hit with Chesney, the one and only. My song, of course, was about me being a pale, thin lad with no friends. And it was called I Am The One and Lonely. Oh, come on. I made the effort. Bye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.